Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. On this episode of The Process, we talk with Eric Salazar about the creative cogitations. The creative cogitations are a list of questions, ideas, and deep thoughts that all creative people have to answer, come to terms with, or just figure out in general. Eric shares these ideas and thoughts about the creative cogitations along with some of his music. The creative cogitations are a list of issues all creative people need to think about, deal with, address when they're creating. These can be found on the Noise Buffalo uh, at Blogspot uh, website, the complete list. And so, Eric, I asked you to kind of look over the list and see if there were any that really resonated with you or ones that you had figured out that you could give us your wisdom on uh <laughs> on how you've you've conquered these, or maybe ones you've just found uh, found interesting. And I noticed one of the first ones you looked at was uh, 1.7. So this would be under the sort of creative need that we have. Uh, 1.7 says, does it bother you that no one cares? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And this is just on music. This is not, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't want to get people depressed. What a know. great question. Uh, to me, I, I think it translates to... Would you still create art if no one interacted with it or engaged with it? Would you still be an artist if you never got any recognition whatsoever? I, I teach a range of private students, uh, sure. middle school, beginners, high school. I've even taught college uh, students before as well. And when a student comes to me and they say, I think I want to do what you do. I think I want to be a musician for my career. Mm -hmm. I ask them, especially if they say they want to be a performer, I go, okay, uh, it's kind of a hard life. Like, <laughs> not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, sure. I think if you love it, you should do it. But I think you should ask yourself this question. And the question I pose to my students is, if you were performing and Every single person that was nearby completely ignored you oh. and, and didn't clap when you were done. Would you still play? 
See, that reminds me of uh, Cage's, uh, uh, John Cage's quote about, uh, you know, he, I think it was a p- performance of a piece of his, it's a vocal piece, a Fontana mix. Mm-hmm. And he performed it and he said, half the crowd clapped mm-hmm. and the other half booed. You know, and said, this is horrible. <laughs> yep. And he said, I knew I was doing something right ah, when that yeah. was the reaction. Yeah. But that's exactly what he got was a reaction. Right. What if he had gotten no reaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I asked them. And essentially, if, and even if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing this performance thing, if your immediate reaction is, oh, I don't know if I could handle that, then you probably shouldn't be a performer for a living. If your reaction is something a little more like, well, I would make them listen. Yeah, or next time I play louder. Or, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. If if you've got sort of a, a counter reaction to that sure, question yeah. that that's very passionate, yeah. then that means you you can do it. You should yeah. be a performer. Uh, and the only reason that I ask that question is because it is such a hard life. And sure. it's like so many people that I know that were performance majors in college have stopped making music because sure. it's so difficult to earn a living. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to but the no, real is question. That the, but, but is that the crux, though? Is that the crux? Is it really so difficult because it's hard to make a living? Mm. Or is it tied into this question that perhaps no one cares? For me, it's all about connecting and sharing. Music, art. It's all about connecting and sharing. And if if no one cares, then I'm I'm still going to make art because... I care. So by definition, someone cares. Mm -hmm. I think the problem happens is when an artist sees people not caring, they somehow take that to mean that they're not good enough and that they shouldn't care. Mm -hmm. They somehow translate other people's kind of nonchalance about what they do to mean, well, I must not be really saying anything, and so I maybe I should stop. I think that's where the problem occurs. And uh, from what I've learned with, I mean, you cannot call what I do like traditional or mainstream or anything. Uh, but from what I've learned is that if you've got something to say, you've got to find a way to say it because it might mean something to someone. Well, do you do you think that's a myth? Do you think it's a myth that no one cares? Do you think people really do care or... Human beings innately care about creativity. I think we're we're programmed <laughs> to care about art. I think in our society, somehow, people think that art means someone's trying to take my money or take my belongings or take my time. Sure. I think that... Uh, and it's because we we there's art all around us, technically speaking. Right. I mean, there's uh, you know you look at McDonald's like their yeah. their logo. That's their logo, yeah. that's art in a way. It's a right. logo, but in sure. a way, it is it's aesthetically pleasing. There, there was a graphic designer. Exactly. There was a, there was a message that was mm-hmm. looking to be conveyed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that in our society, people go. Oh well, if someone's you know making art, like they're trying to get something out of me. <laughs> okay, I see. Well, that's it's not this divine gift or or this kind of uh, you know great expression of humanity. It's it's used as sort of a, a mixer mm-hmm. 
for something that somebody's trying to to sell me. Yeah, and then people who do uh, art that's not related to commercial uh, profit, if, if they're just doing art for art's sake, then the stereotype is like, Oh man, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you're doing either. Okay, that's that's that really hits on something important because you're looking at art as either we're using it as a means to sell something, or it just is what it is, and therefore it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, what I do is all about connecting with people and sharing stories and sharing feelings, which is something. Like, if you are listening to this and you think that you don't need help sharing your feelings, <laughs> you know you need help. <laughs> this is your wake-up call. Yeah. yeah, like, I am so horrible at sharing my feelings. Like, I am I'm born and raised in the Midwest, and sure. <laughs> I got bullied as a kid, so, like, I don't want to share my feelings ever. Sure. Uh, and so, but music, though, mm-hmm. helps me with that. I can speak things with my clarinet that I <laughs> really struggle to do with my voice, and so... Uh, I, I do this so that everyone can sort of share in that experience and, and we can all experience these feelings and emotions because uh, uh, we have to feel emotions to be, to, to be human and to continue along human evolution and to have a happy life. Like you can't just be like your mood cannot be busy. Like your mood cannot be busy for 24 hours. You have to feel sad and you have to feel happy and mad. It can't just be, oh, I'm busy and that's my mood. Sometimes, you know, your performance of Soul Search uh, is dependent on your mood. Mm-hmm. So have you ever, after a performance, somebody that you, you know, that really knows you, have they ever come up to you after a performance and say, hey, Eric, what's going on, man? <laughs> like, we need to talk about that, about that performance. You know, like, what, what's going on? Have you, have you ever had that? Has anyone ever? Uh, no, not, no, not yet. But, not yet. but uh, you know, I, I guess I should say my really close friends and family like they can tell just by looking at me and then when you know they hear the clarinet uh playing they they can tell if something's really wrong or not but at the same time the act of making music in a lot of ways negates whatever negative things i was feeling like the act of sharing it in a way negates it so that whatever anyone thinks they saw during that time like by the time the piece is over and everyone's clapping like i'm so happy about what just happened that whatever was going on is probably gone (laughs) you know this leads into one of the other creative cogitations uh, actually 2.1 which says do you believe in talent or hard work 
<laughs> and this is such a this is such a loaded question. And and first, I should always ask, I always want to ask, what do you think the question means? Or what do you read into the question? And then sort of either how do you answer it or, or what are your sort of ideas behind it? Yeah, so to me, this question, uh, it, it's, I think it's what it's really getting at is that age-old argument of ability versus a, uh, aptitude. Sure. Ability versus aptitude. So I think what it's getting at is, do you believe in Mozart or sure. Beethoven? Sure, yeah. Do you believe that the only people who should actually be creating art are the Mozarts? who have that completely natural ability, which, by the way, it's, I mean, he had perfect pitch and he had uh, photographic memory, or I guess it'd be uh, sonographic memory. Sure. So he had those things, but he also came from an incredibly musically nurtured childhood. Nurtured, we could put quotes around uh, well, nurtured. nurtured yes. uh, but, but, <laughs> but he had a lot of time practicing and preparing right. and actually just performing. Yes, yes. So, uh, so... I think the question is getting at, are, are the Mozarts the only people that should make music, or should we let the Beethoven? Well, see, and I've never thought of it that way. I've never th thought of the idea that if truly there's people who are talented, let's mm -hmm. say at composing or uh, sports, you know, icon, sports hero, you mm -hmm, know, they, mm -hmm. they're just, they have this innate talent. Are those the only people who should be doing that? As far as talent goes with me, I think the only real natural ability I have with music mm -hmm. is that I have a good ear. Mm -hmm. I think everything, and I don't have perfect pitch. I can't, like, if you play a pitch, <laughs> I can't tell you what it is. Sure, that's the next segment of the, of the podcast. <laughs> oh, <way>. great. <laughs> He's going to look like an idiot. <laughs> uh, but I do have a good ear for expression. When I was a uh, freshman in college, you know how when you hear two pitches and you can tell how many waves are in the sound and oh, that's sure. how you know how out of tune something yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. As an 18-year-old, I could not hear that. Sure. Like, sure. I, I... You're saying the beating between I couldn't two hear notes. the beats. Yeah. It just no. sounded like two notes to me. Like, right. I literally, people were saying, no, you hear the waves? Yeah. You're out of tune. And yeah. I, like, was physically incapable of hearing it. Sure. But what I did to sort of fix that problem is I got some software that basically played sine waves sure. on pitches and then I play and I wore headphones mm -hmm. so the sine waves were right in right, my right ears in yeah. and then it was like uh, the gates had finally been opened when I heard how out of tune I was like I was like oh I hear the waves I hear the beats now dang it I'm really out of tune <laughs> so what you're telling me you were listening to drones for several hours <laughs> yep. uh, every every day <laughs> And, yep. and and you wonder there's a strong drone component. <laughs> yeah, in that's your, true. In your music. <laughs>
But what about other people? Um, as far as now, you know, you talked about this chamber music um, that you're doing as part of the grant mm -hmm. or the fellowship uh, that you received. How have other people, and, and you've formed Forward Motion, which is yeah. this really uh, great new music ensemble that we have here in Indianapolis. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, how are those people involved in your creativity? Oh, man. Well, something like tangible <laughs> right now is that I wrote a piece of music for Forward Motion. Great. So, and we uh, premiered it at Indie Convergence uh, a couple weeks ago. And the piece ended up being for open instrumentation because sure. uh, I wasn't super attached to holding myself down to a specific instrumentation, but I definitely 100% wrote it with the intention of I'm going to play this with my friends sure. and it's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my forward motion colleagues are so, firstly, they're all amazing performers. I'd call every single one of them a virtuoso. Like they're so good. I'm mm -hmm. so honored to play with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, support kind of in a different way. So, you know, my family and close friends are the, you can do it kind of support. Uh, but my sure. forward motion colleagues, they're supporting in the way that, you know, we, we positively pressure each other mm -hmm. to do what we've set out to done, which is mm -hmm. to, to, to bring some really great new music to Indianapolis. So their, their contribution to my life is probably bigger than any of them will ever know, uh, but just their willingness to do, to share this mission and take mm -hmm. on the burden that comes with uh, bringing this music to the city and also the burden that comes with performing some of the incredibly challenging music. Well, you know, that takes me back to Creative Cogitation 2.5 on, you know, how are people related to your creativity? You spoke about how you know, your first pieces were really just you and a computer. Mm -hmm. So when did people start becoming part of the process or are they part of the process? <laughs> and what about this kind of, I always read it to be this concept of, you know, a Beethoven type who uh -huh. would lock himself, you know, would be away, <laughs> didn't deal with people very well, was this mastermind and dealt with people when he had to, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. to like... You know, and he just belittled the orchestra. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's always, that's the way I've taken the question. You know, um, so how do you think people have affected or relate to your creativity? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I am actually an introvert. <laughs> this might, it, I, it usually doesn't sound like it when I do these podcasts, but... <laughs> I, I'm good at presenting and performing, but as far as like one-on-one -on -one conversation, I'm like just as likely to run and hide in the classes. <laughs> uh, but so I, the one thing I do find though is that I'm, a, I guess you'd call it an outgoing introvert in that people recharge uh, my battery in a way. Sure. So I have to have that time where I'm, I'm, you know, no one talk to me. I am alone. Yep. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> but I do find that people inspire me uh, in ways that I could never be inspired. So even just, you know, my friends when uh, we're rehearsing, it's just inspiring in a way that makes me want to be creative. Mm 
uh, to work hard and to uh, chase after my dreams even harder. I, I just find that interacting with people, whether it's having a conversation or making music with them, it, it inspires me in a way that allows me to do what I do as a musician. And I think without people to be inspired by, my music would sound very, very different. One thing that you pointed out, uh, 4.5 and 4.6, which uh, is the area in the creative cogitations that deal with, uh, you know, making sense, make sense, sort of the uh, the talking heads uh, <laughs> kind of famous catchphrase. There's so many issues with being creative and making money. Do you believe that creators work for both money at times and other times for art? Yeah, so that to me that question means... Uh, I, I I interpreted it as, do you have to be one or the other, or can you operate on a spectrum? So do you have to be a commercial artist or a, a non-commercial artist, or can you be a little bit of both? And I think, uh, and this is just how I usually think about things, I think it is on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think you do have times where you are, uh, you have projects that are helping you earn a living and then you have projects where the the primary focus is that you cannot stand the thought of this art not being in the world. Sure. <laughs> and the of course, the ideal is when those two are the same thing. Sure. <laughs> like when you've got this great art idea and you also have funding for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that uh, I, I do think that people do both, and I think that you can do both. And I don't think you should be ashamed to do both, mm. especially if. You, I mean, think about it this way. Like, if you're a composer, you've got to earn a living, and you earn your living by writing music. So if you don't write any music, you don't generate income. And if you don't generate income, you can't live and write music. So I think that you're, you're allowed to, at times, have your projects that are, you know, like, yeah, you're into it, but it's, it's generating income. And then you can have other times where, like, this is my masterpiece. This is sure. my super passion. And, you know, there's great precedent for that. You know, even just going back to Bach and, you know, how he had church, he had the mm -hmm. church gig. He had to write that music. He yeah. had to get that done. And and was was all of that great? Well, yes, of course it was. Because it was Bach, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, yeah, this idea that he this was a job for him. Yeah, you know? yeah. I always read 4.5 as being, are you selling out? In Hugh McLeod's book, Ignore Everybody, which also appears on his blog, gapingvoid.com, uh, he talks about something called the cash and sex theory. <laughs> so he talks about there are jobs that creators do for the cash. Uh -huh. And then in the sex, where are we going with this? <laughs> no, they do some for the cash uh -huh. and other jobs they do because they're sexy or they're artistic or they're interesting. And at first I was like, well, this is kind of abstract, mm -hmm. but he brought up the example of really any actor, you know, mm -hmm. and if you think about it, you'll see this actor in a Shakespearean or some type of, you know, uh, Academy Award winning performance. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see them in, you know, Shrek part seven, <laughs> you know, and not to, you know, not to say anything bad about Shrek, yeah. but the idea that they're in all these different roles at, at different levels and some are for money and others are, quote unquote, you know, the, the art of acting. So I think this goes into that whole idea is like, am, are, can you really sell out? And then 
going into 4.6, you know, I read as, do you believe in a day job? If you're doing stuff for money and then you're doing other times for your art, mm -hmm. do you need a day job? <laughs> yeah, well, so, I yeah, I'm interpreting that question as like, should you have a day job? Uh, if so, why? If not, why not? Sure. Uh, that's my interpretation. And I think, so, uh, do you know... Uh, the musician Michael Lowenstern. Do you know yes, of him? Uh, yes, very good. Okay. He calls himself not a full-time musician because he actually does a lot of marketing work. Mm -hmm. So that is his day job. He's a marketer. That's mm -hmm. what he does, marketing and PR. And yet, uh, and I know this because my friend Sean Perrin, who runs the Clara Neat podcast, which I've been really? on a couple of times, yeah. he interviewed Michael Lowenstern. And interestingly... Some of Michael's most prolific CDs, albums, happened once he finally said, all right, I'm not going to do the symphony freelancing thing anymore. I'm going to do marketing and PR and then have my projects that I do. Sure. And so he's, that's his, he has a serious day job, and yet he's created this body of work that is very arguably just an immense contribution to the bass clarinet world, at least. Um, so I think that, uh, it's okay to have a day job and, well, do you think he created that music because he had a day job? Was it because of he had a day job or what about what changed that he said, okay, I'm not going to be that composer locked in a room where all I do is write music. Um, how did that Day job, did the day job affect it? Is it, is it really a cause and effect type relationship? I, I think in a way, yes. I think in a way having that, uh, so let's think about it in terms of energy. We've sure. got 100%. You can't go beyond 100%. I do, I do 110% <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> so let's say that you've got 100% of your music time. Sure. And if you are spending 85% of that freelancing, as he did, then that means you've only got 15% of your music time energy left yeah. on creating those projects that you are, are coming directly from you, your compositions. Sure. So I imagine him having that job. And if you really want to hear his perspective, you can listen to Sean's uh, Clarinet podcast and listen to the Michael Lowenstern episode. But mm -hmm. I imagine that... <clears throat> having his marketing PR job made it so he's got 100% of his music energy mm -hmm. because it's not being spent on marketing and PR. He's got 100% of that energy left over. Mm -hmm. And so he can spend, if he chooses, 100% of that energy on creating his compositions and recording them. This has been The Process. Special thanks to Eric Salazar for talking with us on this episode. For more information about Eric, samples of his music, and to learn more about The Process and future episodes, visit The Noise Buffalo at blogspot.com. Mm -hmm.